0: You guys are braving the cold today. Well done. You are extra holy. Uh, The first service, whoever goes to the first service, they were not holy at all today because there was like three of us uh, in the first service. It was a little rough. Uh, Everybody getting excited about Christmas? It's kind of that time where you're either super excited or super exhausted. Uh, One of the two. This week was uh, Sarah and I's 20th wedding anniversary. And so we celebrated... uh, Celebrated 20 years together, and Sarah, she is all about Christmas. Like, I, I, there's, there's people in here that just, you cannot get enough of anything Christmas. That's, that's my wife. She wants to drive anywhere to look at Christmas lights. And, and I don't know about you guys, I, I, anybody else like this, the more tacky it is, the more she likes it. Is anybody else like, like, not for our house, like, not, not, that's not how she wants our house, but anybody else's house, like the more inflatable Santas you have, the more different colored lights, the more awkward metaphors of Jesus and Santa, the better for her. Like that's, that's the stuff that she loves. And so she just wants to eat up everything. She wants to watch every Christmas movie. Any, anybody else, like the Christmas movies is, is your jam? Like we'll watch, you know, there's like the A Christmas movies, right? The ones that you're supposed to watch. It's like Elf and the Christmas Vacation and White Christmas, and I don't know what else is in there, but there's a group of, Home Alone, yeah, there's a group of like, these are the these are the ones, and then there's like the B Christmas movies, like, I don't know, the um, the Santa Claus ones, or I don't know, there's other movies, I don't, I don't, so you can tell how excited I am about the movies, but there's other movies, and then you get to like the B and the C and the D, and then you're like watching like the Lifetime movie of like All I Want for Christmas is a husband or something like that. (laughs) Like, we watch them all. Like, we watch every Christmas movie that's on. She records all of them. And so we have, like, we don't record much on our DVR, but throughout the year there are thousands of Christmas movies available if you come over to our house to to watch things. And so yesterday we we were kind of celebrating our anniversary, we were relaxing having a good day together, and, uh, and I wanted to watch basketball, but I knew that uh, basketball was not available until later on in the day when my team actually played, uh, and so what we put on was the Holiday Baking Championship. <laughs> Anybody in here like the baking shows? So here's what I compare that to. It's like my kids watching other kids play video games, <laughs> right? Like how, it's like beer twice, you don't get to taste anything, you don't get to smell anything, you don't know if it's actually good. They could be making terrible food. Do you know that? The judges could all be lying, it could all be really bad. But the Holiday Baking Championship, for, for many of you, and for Sarah, is like the NCAA tournament. Like, like she's got a person that she's cheering for. Uh, her name was Sarah. That's who she was rooting for. Uh, and, and so she's got this person that she's rooting for and cheering for. And then there's all of these other people. And so we're watching this. It was riveting. Like, sometimes they burn food. Sometimes it doesn't taste good. Sometimes it does taste good. You never know until they eat it. Like, it's remarkable TV drama. Uh, but, but so we're watching the baking championship and, and there's one lady and, and she burnt her souffle. Yeah. And this was the woman who throughout the whole show had been talking about how hyped she was for Christmas. Like she had been the one that was like, Merry Christmas and like dancing and giving high fives everywhere. And so at the end of the show, she gets cut by the judges. It's, it's this dramatic, like they have all these pauses and commercial breaks and awesome. Uh, And and at the end of the show, they show her and she's been eliminated and she sits down and usually the people who get eliminated, they say things like, ah, it's a great experience. I'm thankful for the judges. I'm thankful for this opportunity. I really felt like I got to become a better cook or, or all these things. This woman is sitting in a chair like this and the camera zooms in on her and she says, because I've been eliminated, I've lost my Christmas spirit. And then it was like, next episode, on the next episode of Holiday Baking Championship. That, that's what it was. It was this, like, ridiculous, uh, I've lost my Christmas spirit. I, when we get into this kind of holiday, there's something about Christmas where we talk about the Christmas spirit. Are, are you with me? There's all these movies that are about like you either have the spirit or you don't have the spirit. You either catch the Christmas spirit or you don't. You're either like Elf, you're, you're, you're the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Or you're like Scrooge and you're bah humbug, right? Those are the, those are the two options of which world you live in. Apparently I'm more over here. Uh, but that's, that's the, what we talk about over and over when we get into this kind of discussion about Christmas. And we start thinking about our year, and we start thinking about all of these things, and everything around it feels a little circumstantial. Feels like my joy is great if the Christmas stuff is happening, if the lights are happening, if the if, if the holiday baking championship, if I'm winning, if, if all of these things are going right, then I have the Christmas cheer. And if I don't, I've got this bah humbug type spirit. Uh, I've, been, I've been looking at, uh, over the last year, I, I've kind of fallen in love with liturgical prayer. We don't do a lot of that in here um, because it's kind of weird and kind of boring and, and other people don't like it as much as I do. Uh, But there's something powerful about reading other people's prayers, especially prayers that people have been praying from generation to generation to generation. And there's something powerful about recognizing that there's people that have words for things that sometimes I don't have words for. That there's people that in their prayers have written things that, that maybe I don't know how to express or I don't know how to say. And, and as we enter into the Christmas season, I think everybody starts to kind of take note of what's happened this year. How did my year go? What went down and what was great and what was bad? And what did what I planned at the beginning of the year? You know, I, I, had, I had said I was going to get to the gym and I was going to lose 20 pounds. And, and I bought that gym membership and I paid $120 a month and I went three times. It's it's that kind of thing where we're looking back at our dreams and our hopes and our plans and all the things that we had wanted to accomplish throughout the year. And sometimes that hope is all circumstantial. And sometimes we have years where we don't feel like God was working. We don't feel like God was present or we don't feel like the dreams that we dreamed brought the breakthrough that we wanted. We have seasons where it feels like God is silent, where it feels like God isn't working, where it feels like we're not getting the wins that we want to get. And the question that I want to ask is, is, is can we still have the hope of Christmas when our circumstances aren't there? Can we still have the joy of Christmas when... It doesn't feel like everything is great. We, we've based all of our joy around circumstances. And I want to suggest that there's a greater hope for us to hope in. That there's a greater joy for us to place our trust in. That there's a greater place for us to land. So I, 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 I copied this, this prayer this morning because I just thought it summed up the idea of someone who was in a place where they felt like God wasn't working... And God wasn't moving the way they had hoped that they would, but who found their joy and hope in the Lord despite that. In spite of their circumstances, they found that. So i want to read this prayer to you. It says, Oh Christ, in whom the final fulfillment of all hope is held secure, I bring to you now the weathered fragments of my former dreams, the broken pieces of my expectations, what I wanted that hasn't come to pass. As I invested all my hopes and my desires, and they returned only sorrow and frustration. In my head, I know you are sovereign over all of this, over my tears, my confusion, and my disappointment, but I still feel in this moment as if I've been abandoned, as if you don't care, as if all my hopes have collapsed, and yet, no, this is not so, for you are the sovereign of my sorrow. You apprehend with a wider sweep, with wiser eyes than mine. My history bears the fingerprints of your grace, for you were faithful always. Though I did not trace quick evidence of your presence in my pain, you remained and you continued to work. So let me remain tender now to how you would teach me. My disappointments reveal so much about my agenda for my own life, the ways I quietly demand and think everything should play out, free of conflict, free of pain, and free of want. But your bigger purpose has always been for my greatest good. That I would be fashioned into a more fit vessel for the indwelling of your spirit and molded into a more compassionate emissary of your coming kingdom. And you in love will use all means to shape my heart into those perfect forms. So let this disappointment do its work. Let me listen to its holy whisper that I might embrace the better dreams you dream for me and for your people and for your kingdom and for your creation Let me join myself to thee, investing all my hope that will never come undone or betray those who place their trust in it. Teach me to hope, O Lord, always and only in you, for you are the king of my collapse. You answer not what I demand, but what I don't even know to ask. Here in the ruins of my wrecked expectation, let me make this confession. Not my dreams, O Lord, but yours be There are times when all of our hope is placed in our circumstances, when all of our expectation and joy is placed in that one thing that if this happens, I will have my joy. If this happens, my joy will be made complete. If I could just get this one thing, then everything will will happen. And, And it feels like the Christmas season is like this manufacturing joy kind of season. I know I'm supposed to feel joyful, but I'm not sure that I always do. I know I'm supposed to be excited, but I don't know that I always do. Uh, Isaiah 49, 23 says it best. It says, those who hope in the Lord will never be disappointed. That when our hope is firmly placed in the Father in heaven, when our hope is firmly placed in him, when our joy is made complete in him, then we will never be disappointed. So I want to walk through the Christmas story today a little bit, and I want to look at the characters of the story, and the places where it's happening, and the people that it's happening to, and I want us to see how Christ breaks into a world where there are people who felt unseen, who felt unnoticed, who felt unloved, who felt marginalized and hurt and broken. And his indwelling spirit, the incarnational presence of Jesus, was good news for all people. That for everyone who came in contact with this child, joy came. So let's look at Luke chapter 2. Let's start at verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. All right, so here's what's happening. They're taking a census, they're trying to figure out who's who and what, what do we have, is everybody paying their taxes, is everybody in the right place, and so everybody had to return to their hometown, where they were born, all right? Who in this room was born the furthest from Marietta, Georgia? Got a lot of you. N- name some things out. China, Canada, China's winning. Slovakia, Slovakia Soviet. All right, I, I'm, I, I, we're going to go China as the winner there. All right. So, so here's here's what had to happen. I, I'm from Dayton, Ohio. It's a terrible, terrible place, especially right now. It's there's nothing happening there. All the factories have closed. Our only hope is Ohio State football. That's the only joy. Our joy will be made complete if they beat Clemson. All right, that's, that's the way it works there in Ohio. Uh, and, and so what would have to happen is I would have to gather my family, my wife, my children, and I would have to go to Dayton, Ohio. But there's not flights at this point to Dayton, Ohio. There's not a car that's going to get me to Dayton, Ohio. There's not a highway that's going to get it. to China would be a real mess. That's going to be really difficult, right? Like, that's going to be really hard to make it. And so, so figuring out how to get there is this difficult challenge. So Joseph and Mary, Mary is nine months pregnant. Uh, that is not a comfortable stage of life. I, I've not been through it, but I am told that that's not the funnest time to be a woman, right? Uh, that that's it's a difficult season, right? It's challenging, painful. They jump on a donkey and travel all the way back home. It's a very inconvenient thing that's happening there. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So, out of the house of David, out of the lineage of David, David, the shepherd king, is is where this is coming from, and to the place of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is... A, uh, like I want you to imagine a little podunk town uh, where, and I'm not going to name any because I, we could offend some people up in here, because I, I think there's a lot of them in this area, but I'm not going to name which ones I'm thinking about. Uh, but it's a tiny little town, there's, there's 1,000, thousand three hundred to a 1,000 people in the town, uh, it's in the middle of nowhere, the Bible actually mocks it, which means it's not the greatest place, like when the, when the Bible's making fun of your hometown, it's. It's a little rough. It says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. The story begins in utter humility. it's, It's a child that's coming to a teenage girl who is having a baby out of wedlock, who is traveling while she's nine months pregnant, who is traveling back home to Bethlehem, which is a town that nobody knows about. There's actually a phrase in the Bible that says, can anything good come from Bethlehem, is what was asked of Jesus. Uh, Gets this place in the middle of nowhere. Caesar utters this royal edict, taxation purposes, pushes everyone back to their hometown, and Mary and Joseph begin this trip home, and Caesar is doing something, but God's doing something bigger. And it's happening in a way that none of us would expect it to. As people had been waiting for the birth of Jesus, as they'd been waiting for the Savior to come, they did not envision it happening in Bethlehem. They didn't envision it happening to a teenage unwed mother. They didn't envision it happening in this place, in this time. And, and it leads us to the first point today, which there is, is this. There is no place that isn't holy. There is no place that isn't holy. Sometimes we believe that there's a season of our life that isn't holy, that there's a place that isn't holy. It's interesting that we have kind of these set-apart holy places, like Sunday morning is holy. When we gather together to worship, that's holy. When we stop and when we pray, that's holy. But then there's these other moments that are completely secular or somehow are absent of any holiness or any set-apartness or any bit of God's presence. And so when we're, when we're having coffee with one another, that's not holy. But when we're talking at church, that is holy. When we're listening to a sermon, that's holy. But when we're listening to our kids in the car, that's not holy. And we have this kind of secular, sacred divide where we believe there's some things that are holy and other things that are not. Uh, This story is shaping us in such a way that says if you look deeper, you'll recognize that everything is holy. That God recognizes that every place, that every moment, that every person... That every interaction, that every hour, every second, every minute is ripe with the fruit of the inbreaking kingdom of God. And the question is are we present to it? Are we attentive to it? Are we ready to hear that and experience that? Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, You who are too little among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth the one who will be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from the ancient of days, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Out of this town in the middle of nowhere that nobody expects anything of, the inbreaking of the kingdom is going to happen. And the narrative that everybody wanted to hear, the story that everybody wanted to experience was a story of power. The king born in power, born in authority, born to take over the structures of the Roman government, to come as a warrior, to come as a king, to come in strength, to come in power, and it shows up in a completely different way. And we would be wise to pay attention and understand that this is often how God works. In the unexpected ways. In the ways that we didn't notice he was even working, in the, in the people that we didn't think he could use, in the moments that we thought weren't holy, those are the places where God does his best work. The second thing I want us to recognize is that there's no person who's unseen. There's no place that's not holy, but secondly, there's no person that's unseen. It, it, we, we, the census would gather the entire family, and so when, when Joseph and Mary are traveling back to Bethlehem, we have to understand this. Their entire family is traveling back to Bethlehem. Like this is not ever, we don't ever talk about this. We always talk about it as if there's like one holiday inn in Bethlehem, and they're booked up, and there's just one, no, no other spots for them to go. Here's the truth. Joseph's family is in Bethlehem. They have a place to stay. They're there. They're all there. They had to be there. They were commanded to be there. The problem is they're rejected by their family. There's no place for them because he's got a pregnant wife and they're not married yet. There's no place for them because they've been rejected by their family. There's no place for them, not because the Holiday Inn is booked, but because the family is saying, no, 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 we don't want anything to do with you rejected by their family yet loved by God, unseen by their family at Christmas yet seen by God, and it's easy for us to get into these moments in life, especially when we're trudging through the day-to-day where we recognize, like, I just don't think anybody sees me. I don't think anybody notices the work I'm doing. I don't think anybody sees what I've been doing or, or, or knows how hard I've been striving or, or all the work that I put in. My boss doesn't notice me. My spouse doesn't notice me. My friends don't notice me. I just feel like I'm just clocking in and going through life. And the Christmas story teaches us that everyone is seen a family from the line of David. Luke chapter 2 verse 8, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. A shepherd is the job of a 10-year-old boy. I've I've traveled to Africa oftentimes, and, and, and when you do, you'll kind of get out into the country away from the city, and just randomly you'll see a little boy in a field with a bell and a stick and a bunch of sheep. I guess it's not a job that requires much. Uh, it's not the job that anybody dreams of getting. I, I, I doubt these these little boys are saying, "When I grow up, I just want to ring a bell and make some sheep eat." I don't I don't know what shepherds do. I guess they stop them from getting hit by cars or something, or like whatever it is that they do. It, it's not really like you don't have to go to college for that. There's not like a there's not like a shepherding one hundred and one, two hundred and one, three hundred and one, or four. It's just shepherding. Don't. Don't let them die is is the job, right? Like, just don't let them die today. Okay, that's my whole day. Sheep don't die. All right? It, it reminds me of, like, have you ever, We it happens all the time here, but there, there's people that just stand on a corner and, and hold a sign. It looks like the most miserable job you could have. $5 pizza at Little Caesars and there's just some guy and like what's what's your job? I got to stand like this for 8 hours on the street. And they always have headphones and they're always like smoking and look completely uninterested in this like the signs at their side. Like and this is the job. Like it's it, there's there's not a lot of skill in it, there's not a lot of work in it. It's just showing up day after day. It's a job that is unseen. Nobody's noticing them. Nobody's paying attention to them. Nobody's recognizing the work that they're doing. Nobody's saying, hey, Todd, the shepherd, really good job today, buddy. Like none of the sheep died. High five. Like that, that's not happening. Nobody's recognizing the work that they're doing. I doubt the shepherd's names are Todd, but it would be fun if they were. It says this, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those in whom he is pleased. Where else in Scripture is there choirs of angels that show up? Where else do choirs of angels show up? Doesn't happen very often. <laughs> yeah? This is the moment. This is who the choir of heaven comes to sing for. is the shepherds. It's completely unexpected. It's an unexpected people in an unexpected place. And we have to pay attention to how God works. And recognize this is how God is working. Uh, And number three, the third point I want us to see is that there is no season that is insignificant. There's no place that isn't holy. There's no person that isn't unseen. And there's no season that is insignificant. Um, There was a shepherd that was from Bethlehem. Samuel the prophet was sent to find the new king of Israel. And as he went, he, he was told that there was a group of brothers... And out of the group of brothers, there was going to be one brother that was going to be the star. He was going to be the one that was going to be the king. And Samuel the prophet was going to anoint that king. And God said this to Samuel directly. He said, do not look upon his appearance or on his height or on his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. I want us to hold that today. The Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Instead of going to the powerful, strong, older brother, God chose the little brother who was out in the fields doing insignificant work in an insignificant place at an insignificant time. And what God is teaching all of us is that every moment is significant. That every job, every task, every minute, every second is ripe with the kingdom of God. And we just need to be present to it. The issue isn't that God's not present. The issue isn't that God's not working. The issue is that we're not aware of his presence. It's that we've lost the ability to be with him and to know and to understand. There is this journey that all of us are taking. And it's this journey of recognizing the presence of God in my everyday life. It's this journey of recognizing when is God speaking and how is God speaking and when is he leading and how is he leading and how is God working in that person's life that I could encourage them. How could I bless them or serve them or or be generous to them? How could I come alongside a brother or sister who's hurting? How can I pray for them? It's this understanding that every single moment we are the ambassadors of the kingdom, that we are the shepherds in the fields, that we are living in Bethlehem, that we are the people who seem unseen and are just job is to be like our Savior and to see. It's to see the world for who they are. It's to look people in the eyes. It's to recognize what's going on in their heart and in their life and to be with them. And in this humble moment of obscurity, in a way out of the way town, with way out of the way people, this moment is the moment that's filled with the highest glory. So it's easy for us to judge Christmas by what it looks like in culture. It's easy for us to look around and say, it's just the season that we celebrate and we're happy and we, we manufacture this joy about it for a little bit, but then it ends and we open all the presents and we take down the tree and joy's over and the spirit is gone. But I wonder if we saw it more as this deeply subversive story of a group of marginalized people who the God of the universe says, this is how I'm going to break through. This is where I'm going to do my best work. This is where I'm going to show up. And so the story beckons us not to get drawn into the hype of Christmas, but it calls us to be the people who work with out-of-the-way people in out-of-the-way places. Calls us to be the people who see. It calls us to trust a God who does extraordinary things with ordinary people, who does holy things with unholy moments, who who works His best work out in the middle of the field with a bunch of shepherds where nobody is paying any attention to what's going on there. And so, for us this week, I, I, I wonder just if there's some significance in us looking on these three ideas. That this week, as you celebrate Christmas with your family, there's no, there's no place that isn't holy this week. That this week, as you're going about your business, and as you're pumping your gas, or eating at a restaurant, or walking down the street, that there's no person who isn't unseen by God or unknown by Him. And that there's no season that's insignificant. There's no work that we're doing that doesn't matter. There's no... Days that we're putting in that don't mean anything or amount to anything, that every single work that we do is holy and is set apart. And so, as I've looked at this this week, I I really just have one thought for myself that I've been reflecting on, and it's just God, if you're present in the ordinary, and if you're working in the, the ways that I don't always see or I don't always notice. Am I the type of person who sees you and notices? Or am I the type of person who gets caught up in all the hype of Christmas and misses all the things that really matter? Am I the person whose hope is built on my circumstances? Or am I a person who has learned to root myself and hope in you? And hope in this child that shows up and this God that works in ways that I don't always understand have I learned to embrace the simple and the ordinary and the everyday and to see God there? And so we're going to move to a time of communion. It's something we do every week. There's tables in the back of the room and in the front of the room here. And, and as we go to the table, we, we, we simply remember that Christ came to die. We remember that he came in an unexpected way, that he died in an unexpected way. And we just ask the Lord, Lord, is there any unexpected ways that you're working in my life right now that I'm not noticing? Is there something that's happening that I'm just not seeing? Is there a person that you're spotlighting that I'm supposed to see and love and serve and care for? Is, is there something that I feel is insignificant but actually means the world? And so we pray for eyes to see To see the world the way God sees it, to see the hurting, the way He sees it, to see the unseen, the way that He sees it, to recognize that every moment is holy, that every second, every minute, God is present and working and speaking, and that miracles are available. The good news of Christmas, guys, is that it's for anybody, in any place, at all times. The good news the angels announced. Fear not, for I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you this day a child is born, and that child will be the Savior in which you've waited for. And he's still being born over and over and over again. Over and over and over again, the inbreaking of the kingdom is happening over and over again. In a new heart every week, in a new place every day, in a new life, over and over and over again, the kingdom breaks in. God shows up and amazing things begin to happen. And so as we move into a time of worship, let's just go to him and say, "All right, Lord, I just want to be present to you this week. I just want to learn to love the way that you love. I want to learn to care the way that you care. I want to learn to serve the way that you serve. So let me pray and then we'll go to communion. Father, we just thank you that you're good and that you're working and that when we think nothing's happening, Sometimes you're doing your best work. When we think we're unseen or unnoticed, you see us and you notice us. When we think we're not equipped to to lead or to be called or to step into the things that you've invited us to, you're constantly saying, no, I'm inviting you in. When we're rejected by others, we're accepted by you. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be people who are like you. That we would love, that we would see, that we would recognize, that we would notice, that we would pay attention. And that we would be with you every moment of every day. Because we know that you are the greatest prize. So thank you Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship